0: We are Encountering
1: Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you.
2: Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world.
0: This week, the conclusion of our interview with Martin Laird. Parts one and two had aired previously.
2: First, I just want to say, Martin, I'm so grateful to jump in this conversation with you guys. And I'm so glad you were willing and able to um, join us again to, to keep chatting about things. And I know last time you guys had talked a little bit about kind of This modernization and of mindfulness and how it's almost been marketed towards more doing and you know success and things like this in corporations. And I wonder if you could expand a little bit more on that from from last time's conversation.
3: Yes, thank thank you. I think generally what has been done with mindfulness, uh, just wherever it has gone, it has improved things. I speak of the uh, commodification of mindfulness. We know of certain corporations who, who, who bring this in. And it does good work. While the mindfulness is, uh, it comes out of um, insight meditation, the Vipassana the from Theravada Buddhism and so forth, but as it's been ap- applied to corporate America it's lost its deep heart it's deep mm. mind mm-hmm. uh, the great mindfulness and that's not what the the what they contract out for actually you know
2: <laughs> right
3: right it does, I, I, I know of places you know have had this and and they, and what they do is you know as a result um, people are less stressed well, that's unqualifiably a good thing and, and work well together, but that's that they're not interested in deepening their spiritual lives. Being less stressed, uh, they work better together as uh, a company, there's more harmony, uh, but ultimately it is at uh, the service of a corporate profit. And that, that's, you know, that, that's not what it is uh, meant for. And, and then things, applications at a far more serious level, say, well, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, mm. that is also, uh, you know, that's much to be praised. I, I know many people who have been helped by the, this with respect to depression, anxiety, all sorts of things. You can just go to the website PubMed, which is what, what medical research in mindfulness and postpartum issues that is very good and the the tremendous work that uh, John Kabat-Zen introduced
0: mm-hmm.
3: he has a far deeper training and depth, and that is what the corporatization or the commodification of mindfulness has lacked
1: mm.
2: yeah I I wonder do you think where it's at right now where mindfulness exists in those kinds of settings do you think there's something there that's salvageable kind of like this this altering of intention in order to almost you know purify it to what it is I guess
3: I think the people who lead it need to have gone more deeply into the path of mm. addition mm. and simply being aware of thoughts as they go by yes that that is fine but but who's doing the awareing?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. yeah
3: so you have something that is essentially a spiritual discipline, not being used to its uh Full advantage, right? Mm-hmm. This this is um, uh, non-denominational, non—you know—you don't have to believe or disbelieve in anything, mm. but, but to uh, cultivate the full flowering of the human being in in God or in, in this luminous vastness. You need a bit more than a workshop, and people who go to a certain number of workshops are commissioned. They might even get a certificate, can license, to go out and teach things, and then, and so they do, and and don't have enough experience themselves to feel things that might come up in mindfulness retreats. Right that they lead, and wouldn't know how to feel them. One thing, you know, this whole whole business of silence is uh, BS proof. (laughs) uh, It's not a contemplative mascara. You know, I talk about aesthetic distancing in an ocean of light. The attraction to things spiritual, the attraction to... Silence to contemplative practices or disciplines can actually be a defense against what contemplation will make you face. Mm. And I see this a good deal. And then when people see something within themselves that they don't like, it's like, I didn't pay for this. Mm-hmm and and so they 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 find some other spiritual practice or hobby but they'll be brought right back to this as soon as they try to go more deeply so apart from let's say mindfulness teams who would go into into whatever corporation you know they're they're not going to un- unlock a whole lot necessarily but in other contexts, retreats, I think in cognitive behavioral therapy, the, a therapist can handle what things come up, you know, and, uh, and use this well. But that's not an example of its commodification, mm-hmm. an example of, it, of its use to serve a, per, a particular purpose mm-hmm. psychotherapeutic context and it is in many ways a gold standard depending on what the issue is which is great but when you get into teaching it as an a spiritual path which what it, it is you 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 need more than a course for the purpose of learning how to do this so i can go teach somebody else how to do this. There's a great risk in contemplative traditions to make oneself look spiritually beautiful. Right. Yeah. And, and so these, these, these are some, some of my concerns. When what we call mindfulness you know, shows up all over the place, uh, in which, you know, it means nothing at all, mm. a mindfulness smoothie or what is used um, <clears throat> um, in a, corporations or, or anything to for personnel in service days mm. and so forth. And they can have a certain benefit that people do function better when when the noise in the head is, is quietened somewhat and people do work together better and and the workplace becomes happier that's a good thing you know and incidentally yes profits go up the what do you call these things outcomes assessments
0: yeah the but metrics right
3: in a spiritual path there are no outcomes
1: assessments <laughs> <laughs> right so martin you know i attended a workshop uh, a conference, I should say. in Berkeley, California, it must have been six years ago now. and it was put on by the Mongolam Institute, which is a Tibetan Buddhist um, organization. They're dedicated to translating Tibetan texts into other languages. And so they actually convened people from various fa- various faith traditions, obviously not just Buddhist. And and I, I mean, I don't know how I got invited to this thing. Somebody somewhere read one of my books and liked it. And, and because everybody else there were really, you know, they were academics, they were scholars. And, and it was a wonderful conference. But that I remember clearly one of the Buddhists there saying, it could almost be word for word what you're saying now. And this, this sense of respect for what the mindfulness movement accomplishes. But then kind of this sense of concern that it's selling short the potential for contemplative practice to really do deep interior transformational work. But that for that to take place, it needs to be embedded in some sort of an ascetical tradition whether that's Buddhist or contemplative Christian yes. or some other. And so I guess my question to you would be, without trying to make the mindfulness people out to be the boogeymen, without trying to make them wrong, mm. how do we respond in a way that says, you know, friend, come up higher? How do we, how do we communicate To the mindfulness people, that they're missing out on what is what is there.
2: Well, and I I think it's important to to not. I just want to say, I mean, that it makes me cringe a little to say come up higher. I think there's, you know, just
0: yeah, there's there's no metric. There's no come closer. Yeah, there's no Uh, metric. There's no higher or (laughs)
2: lower. The you know what I mean. Is, there's something... The higher that is, deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Right. There's
1: there's more here than just than just stress management. That's mm-hmm. that's a f- more yes. a neutral way to put it. So.
2: And yeah. and a lot of Martin, what you're saying too, more than more than vanity and ego, also just all the layers that are added when it's done in that kind of a way this requires a lot of stripping.
3: Yes. Yes. Uh, stripping is a good way in to uh, what what happens. When one becomes committed to a discipline and stays with it, there is a great simplification and stripping, as as you say, or purification or liberations when the ego uh, is taken off its throne. But I certainly don't want to presume that all of the uh, mindfulness people don't know about this. But there is a uh, societal reception that seems to receive more of the surface than the depth. And that is where you see the commodification of spirituality in, in general i mean it's great that people are even returning to this uh, as a, uh, you know as something that's important in life but you know you, you you can't serve grape juice when a fine wine is what's called for or you you yes. can't you've got the, the proper the proper nourishment and uh, that means one has had to do a whole lot of inner work themselves mm. and not just attended courses. Now, uh, the two do go together, you know, in these uh, when people go to get certificates in or they, sometimes they don't even. Get certificates. They've just been to enough of them and say this is a good thing, and they want to pass it on to others. Right, and then disappear, and don't. Uh, and a person takes this on, and and is suddenly uh, thrashing with themselves, and uh, certain you know pain from previous, earlier in their lives, you know, uh, come up. And then suddenly they know where to turn. The, the mindfulness person left, or they have to find another retreat. With they in in all cases, we want to move towards depth. What mindfulness movement or the mic mindfulness? <laughs> it's been cut off from the depth of insight meditation, or you know from. The, you know, how what we talk about this, uh, vipassana from a very ancient, the most ancient, uh, uh, extant Buddhist practice, you know, the vipassana coming from Theravada Buddhism. And that, then you're getting into the depth of things from the mindfulness perspective. So, so it's what it's what the problem is, what's been left out. In the, in the carryover and the uh, and, and what has done is it has been the commodification or the corporatization of all areas of spirituality, as it has in the academy, the corporatization of the academy, the commodification of education. It just is culture wide, and it's been absorbed into a culture that could contribute to its healing.
0: It's exciting to hear you say that because I I feel like it it validates uh, the, the podcast on some level. The whole point of this podcast, we talk about trying to place on the cultural map that there is this other moment that we should be attending to, this kind of silent moment. And what I hear you saying, unless and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying is it's not necessarily that we're critiquing Mindfulness people necessarily, we're not. What we're suggesting is there's sort of a context of our culture that can only hear it surfacely, even if a mindfulness person knows the depth. Is yes. that is that is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so then it seems to me that it really is important for us to kind of be aware as a culture. That there is this whole other level, as you say in your book. Uh, I just finished reading uh, *Ocean of Light*, and this this idea of there's this deeper mind that there that there's some level that you can go through the. In your book, you have the three kind of the reactive mind, and you know you go through these three stages. Or and I don't, it makes it feel very static, which it isn't. But um, you you point out these three kind of moments, or or whatever. Where there's something to unfurl, like you say, the flower of the mind, that it's supposed to reach out to something deeper, and our culture doesn't seem to have that on its map, and so then, therefore, we think its surface level's fine. Like we don't, we're not sure about this flowering of the mind.
3: No, but a real spiritual pilgrim who are attracted to them, yes, they they, they get are. it.
0: Yeah, right. They're the ones but who get it. Yeah,
3: power of the mind. I simply mean that this is awakened awareness that sees. Through that, realizes that we are all one. Mm. Uh, it's not intellectual realization. It is a, a, an opening of the heart uh, mm. where we, it unothers the other. Right. As uh, where we meet ourselves, mm. uh, um, we're not separate. Right and and you know, this can only it sounds silly even to say that because <laughs> of, of course we are separate but at a deeper level we are we are one and and the contemplative traditions from you know uh, buddhism uh, christianity uh, hinduism uh, physics they all affirm that you know what these uh, deep Contemplative disciplines have have known for centuries and centuries and centuries Mm. and is now confirmed by, by science, by quantum entanglement, that we are, in Christian terminology, we are one body.
0: Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. I mean, the only thing I wonder about is you did talk about last time we spoke, the idea of certificates and things, and then we, we talked a little bit about spiritual direction, and I wonder if there's any any clarification there, because we are talking about mindfulness, and, I, and you made quite clear the last time we spoke that spiritual direction is so essential when someone starts to walk this path, and I just didn't know if there was anything that needed to be clarified there, or if there was anything you wanted to say there, because I-, I I'm pretty sure last time y- you were quite positive about it, but <laughs> I'm just, as we're here, I'm wondering, that's all.
3: Well, yes, I mean, the, it's, it's always important to have somebody, some sort of guide, some sort of deeply experienced listening ear uh, who can't, you know, negotiate can't do anything of this for you, but can say, well, look, I I recognize some of the waters you're sailing in right now, and you need to be aware that there are shallow reefs that'll rip the bottom out of your boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can't do it for you, but, but can recognize things going on in you that are obviously signs of growth, but risks of... You know the uh, things being integrated in terms of the ego,
0: mm-hmm.
3: which has us looking at our own progress or where we are in the spiritual life. Where can we be mapped? What what stage? And you know that that is a, that's a great great ego trick to keep keep us at the center of our own spiritual project. Mm. So we we need uh, first of all our own discernment skills, our own self knowledge, and that sort of humility and inner listening comes from what Casti called a, a stripping, a simplification, and where one also sees the commodification of spirituality or the corporatization is is also in the. Giving people the impression that by doing a certain uh, course of a, a year or two, you know, in segments or by uh, online, um, that you finish this and then you're, you you somehow this is you're now suddenly a spiritual director. Right, you weren't before you did this, and and um, my concern and, and and there are all sorts of things, and I think there are a couple of Good ones that I know of, and there must be others. Mm-hmm. But uh, some uh, there are some that really emphasize learning the the Enneagram and focus on you know uh, are you a five? You have to remember that person's a three, and uh, and then on the the Myers Briggs. When I you know we were all exposed to this when I was in formation in my order, and they were they're fascinating. They really are useful tools of self-knowledge, but they don't go as deeply as we go. Uh, They're wonderful for a certain amount of self-knowledge and understanding why other people are so bloody annoying. Right. (laughs) Because they're an INFT. Well, what do you expect of an (laughs) INFT? Or, you know, there 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 are five so don't expect them to, to say much, you know. Uh, you know these caricatures, and they're using to 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 sort of we need some sort of conceptual control over. Others. And and while the Enneagram, well, this is a, a venerable fruit that comes out of Sufi tradition, and 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 Myers-Briggs from Jungian topology. Uh, and they, they have their use, but they don't go as deeply as the human spirit goes. Mm. And so they have, they have their place. They're interesting, I find. But that's not the extent of it. There, there, there is um, an unfathomable nakedness of the present moment hmm. that's yeah. unchartable, these can't get at. Yeah. And stillness does, mental still interior stillness, the quietening of the wandering, roaring, enneagramming mind,
1: mm.
3: or being Myers Briggs into oblivion. Mm. <laughs> So cool.
2: right. there's, there's yes. something, that seems so not, not only limiting, but um, to those kinds of things, but also even in, in my own life, I've, I've found how I can also use those things as justification for bad behavior or, you know, just, yeah. just, um, you know, oh, well, I'm a Scorpio, so that's, you know, why <laughs> I, <What?
3: laughs> So don't bother
2: me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we box. We can box ourselves in with those things so easily.
0: And, box, and, and box.
1: Uh, they're, yes,
2: yes. They're they meth- technologies of control. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to control how we how we meet other people, or how we how we present ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, so they can be they can be tools for learning.
0: They're,
3: but they're, they
1: can also be misused.
3: Even, so. I mean, they're they're simply insufficient,
0: mm-hmm. right? Right. Incomplete. Right.
3: And and you know, so enneagrammers who might be listening to this, they, they don't need to, you know, stop saying what, guessing what number I am, you know, or you know, as uh, uh, that's I'm not I'm not uh, saying this is unuseful. Mm-hmm just not enough. It's necessary. It's necessary because self-knowledge is necessary and these are tools of self-knowledge but the self is something hidden. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: It is not a commodity. It can't be measured. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I, uh, the self is something that is re- ever hidden in God. And can't be found. Nobody's actually ever seen the self. You know, we use that term. You don't see the self walking around, or, you know, that, 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 uh, I mean, it makes a certain sense. We know what we mean, but, but, but to be a, a contemplative discipline is going to unself the self mm-hmm. and in self forgetful Joy. A self unselfed of self is free and a vehicle of a compassion beyond the person himself or
0: herself.
2: What well, will you say that again? A self unselfed
0: of self is free. Of self, of self,
2: self is free.
0: Is, is free,
2: mm-hmm. It's
3: fully created. And becomes a vehicle of compassion because it has overcome the sense of a separate self, um, and this corresponds with with the the, the uh, flower of the mind that I call this or luminous mind uh, in in my most recent book. You don't see it as separate from i mean it's not an object yes of awareness. it is very awareness yes it is, i use the term throughout my books the, the awaring itself to shift our attention from the object of awareness our our fear our uh, in this case or, or the uh, anger or shift our awareness from the object we are aware of to the awareing itself hmm. that is completely free, completely pure, one with all, the threshold of the courts of the Lord. But immediately the mind, the discursive mind, will turn it into an object and, and, and people say to me, well, I, as you told me, I'm I'm sitting here being aware of my awareness. And I said, well, no, I didn't say that at all. I said to shift your attention from the object of awareness to the awareing itself. And you're one with all. Because awareness is one with all. That is. And... The simplification or the stripping that Cassidy me is is what I uh, termed um, it used in this recent book decluttering decluttering to uncover what because in contemplative path is nothing to acquire we, 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 you, you don't acquire union with god we, we are one with God or else we wouldn't exist mm. And it's o- overcoming the sense of separation from God, where we discover at the same time we are one with all. Uh, and, and this is, you know, compassion is not a feeling so, so much as the nature of being. And this it's, it's, it's a very be- beautiful, but it's humbling and deeply freeing and takes, you know, you don't do this in, in a, a workshop or a lo- even a, a, a series of, of, of retreats. This is out of our control, which, which also throws one up somewhat because if we don't feel we're in control, we're in very scary territory. You know, so looking at this are gripping to being in control, often that is hiding a lot of life pain, and that is part of the human condition, and we have to tread very, it's it's very sacred territory, our life pain. The wounds of our life that don't scar over, that is to say, they don't heal, That, 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 that that they don't heal. Scar tissue is healing. Um, It's just not as neat as the the previous clear skin. But the wound of life pain sit in it and it flowers. And this, you know, from the Christian tradition, this is, you know, very, very important of, of... Christ, the mystery of God in Christ, taking life, pain, in all of its form, into itself, and turning it from uh, into from a brick wall into a doorway. And this this was what I was hoping to get at in the, the first book I wrote, uh, which is into the silent land, the liturgy of our wounds. And the flowering of a wound is a motif in, in medieval manuscripts of the crucifixion. Uh, the wounds of Christ flower. Uh, now this, you know, we don't want to attract woe is me uh, serenades from people. Uh, this is you know very serious when, when we meet life pain and failures. We need to be very uh, at home in them and realize that this mystery of God in Christ doesn't so much identify with our virtues and our accomplishments and our degrees and our certificates, but with what we resent most in ourselves, resent most about life, because identifies this because this is where it's needed. And very often, it doesn't uh, take it away. You know, how often I repeated St. Paul it is a, just a remarkable example of this, whatever problem he struggled with, you know, and he had the good sense not to tell anyone. He didn't put it on Facebook. But you know, three times I asked the Lord to remove this me. He was constantly get rid of this, and God said, "No, you have me." And and when Paul integrate this, accept this, then what he used previously condemned within himself, loathed within himself. He says, now I glory in my weakness. But the weakness remained weakness. But there is joy, freedom in the wound of the human condition, as we meet it in our own life pain. And we have to, I think we're invited to to um Discover the silence of the wound and sit on the prayer of a wound and find there in our wound our bond with all suffering humanity. And so this is the powerful apostolic dimension of the silence of contemplation contemplation is very actively apostolic by its stillness in brokenness not um, it's, it's very easy to um, meet pain uh, uh, and realize that there's a certain that, that that nobody can take it away from nobody can take it away Pe- help us live with this, move around it, but it, it really or you know sometimes medicate it into oblivion i 'm um, not talking about i 'm not i take that back i 'm not talking about physical pain i 'm not even certain no, about psychological pain, but that that is gets even closer but Life pain, I, I keep repeating that, um, is, is an open wound that will not heal. The poet, I will go down to the well and wash this wound that will not be healed. R.S. Thomas, he says, let us, let us stand still then in the interval of our wounding.
0: Hmm.
3: So the silence turned golden and love is a moment eternally overflowing.
1: Hmm.
3: And that's beautiful poetry. It's a painful place to be. But a moment a, a, the moment so inhabited does not require the pain to be gone if it happens to be there.
1: Which poem by R. S. Thomas you were quoting?
3: Evening. It's at the it's at the final page of, of, of this book, uh, Ocean of Light.
0: I really do want to thank you, Martin. I mean, you've been so generous with your time. Our last conversation, when it was just Carl and I, it was amazing. And now you've clarified and added so much more. Like we have so much good stuff here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. A delight. are encountering silence. I'm Kevin Johnson. To learn more about me, please visit
1: kevinmichaeljohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman.
2: Find out about my work at carlmccolman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. My website is cassidyhall.com. Please
0: visit the podcast's website at EncounteringSilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on this podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit Patreon.com slash EncounteringSilence. To learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters. Our circle of supporters help tremendously in sharing our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.